Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, Nighttime listeners. I have something quite heavy for you this episode. The story we're going to hear involves a raging house fire, three deaths, a dramatic police takedown, and a successful use of the controversial NCR, or Not Criminally Responsible, legal defense. The story takes place in January of 2015 in a small community outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the unfortunate people who get to star in this tragedy are the Hennigers, a close-knit family that have felt cornered by Canada's treatment of its mentally ill long before its family members began to die. The whole front row is missing from my life. In January 2015, Chandler Henniger's life changed forever. His brother Cody was suffering from untreated schizophrenia and killed their mother and maternal grandparents. All I have is the picture and the memory in here. Chandler says his family tried over and over to get Cody help through the mobile crisis unit and even calling police, but he says the help he needed never came. It really hurts because, you know, it's sad when you see someone that really needs help and you know that they're not a bad person and that they deserve that help and it's not being given to them. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, I'm going to take you along with me for a coffee and an emotional talk with Chandler Henniger the young man who has become the voice for the surviving members of his family. And our topic is his brother, Cody Henniger. Hi, my name's Chandler Henniger. I'm 31, soon to be 32. Um, I'm taking care of my mother's family homestead with my sister for the last little while. Uh, I have a dog and a cat. Uh, they're Roxy and Annie. I named the cat after my mother. And Roxy is in training to be my PTSD service dog and also an epilepsy service dog. Oh, wow. Tell me a bit about your family. Like, what, what kind of family do you come from? What kind of people are the, the Hennigers? Uh, well, I come from two different family names, in my opinion. That's uh, the Hennigers and the Wards. And uh, on both sides, there are fa- farming families, hardworking families. Got carpentry and law enforcement and, like, military on both sides. Very passionate people when it comes to our family, I'd like to believe. We, we try to stick pretty close as much as we can uh, and uh, help each other out. And, I don't know. I think I got a pretty good, evenly balanced skills from both sides of my family. I'm proud to say that I'm from both of them. Good. Now, you mentioned your sister, but we're going to get into talking about your brother as well. Is it, Were there just three of you in your family You're, uh, like, as far as kids? No, there's four four kids um, we all have the same mother. Um, three of us have the same father. Okay. Uh, and our younger sister has a, a different father than us. Is and now Cody? Is he your older, younger brother? He's my older brother. I have two older brothers. Okay. And a younger sister. Yeah. Now, Cody, like you grew up with him as yeah. like, like closest siblings, and we know now, like people who know this story and know about you and your family and Cody, know that he would go on to be diagnosed as schizophrenic, I believe? Uh, later on in life, um, we kind of knew that he had it before he actually had an official diagnosis. The doctors could only make speculations because he didn't want to. He wouldn't accept or receive the train, the uh, the help. Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't force him because he was over, you know, the, the legal age, like he was okay. in his 20s. So uh, it's a sad world we live in that he... Your, your own family members and the cops that you call to come try to help you one day, they uh, 
they're standing there saying it's sad, but he's going to end up having to kill someone before that he gets help before we can force him to get help. Wow. So when did the like you say you you had a belief beforehand that something was up? Like when did it start that you realized that something was was up with Cody? Like was there? I mean, he was he was always troubled, a lot more troubled than like me and my brother. Um, in high school, like he experimented with some drugs. I mean, we we all do. Um, mm. I think he probably did more experimenting than us, and that can take a toll on your your mental health. Mm. And uh, I know that people can be influenced like sometimes mental health issues don't come out of nowhere uh, we know that he was troubled but we didn't realize how bad it was I guess till he was I think he was like around the age of like 25 26 before we started to really notice like something wasn't right mm -hmm. yeah in in which way like how like did he seem paranoid or like what was it he that seemed he... very angry and and very paranoid and he was saying things that didn't make sense sometimes like he thought his girlfriend at the time was cheating on him and that the kid that she was pregnant with wasn't his, and oh, okay. so he kind of disowned his daughter, and he hasn't really been in her life. And it is his wow. daughter. Wow. Like, you know, it looks like him and everything. Like, mm -hmm. And they were going through some tough times because I think his mental health, he thought something was going on or something, accused her of cheating. And he went up there all fired up one day, you know, all pissed off. And I said, you shouldn't go up there like that. It's not how things turn out well, right? Mm -hmm. You should... Stay here and just calm down a bit. And, you know, grabbed a hold of my throat and I said, "Well, fine. If you if you're gonna try to choke me to death, go ahead and leave." Like you know. Mm, sure. And I called her and warned her, and sure enough, he went up there. He was freaking out at her and trying to take the baby, trying to take her outside in the cold. Wow. Yeah, there was these signs and that, but I mean, you start to wonder if somebody's really as crazy as you think they are, and whether you see them acting crazy or not, because sometimes you wonder if it's just them letting their anger get the best of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if they, they're overthinking things or whatever, or, you know, letting their emotions run them. But I think that he kind of, he, he knows what he's doing when he's doing it, but he can't control himself. Like, he's just too angry or something. Mm -hmm. it, it's been said that your family, like, went to, like, lengths to get him help, and you talked about it yourself, oh, like, yeah. you couldn't be diagnosed or without voluntarily doing it. Was this what you just talked about? One of the situations that led you to try to get help, and, and that was that was one of them. Yes. Yeah. And then another one was when he he was living in the area at the time, and my mom used to help him with things, and uh, and he stopped in one day. I was living in the area too, but I was working at the farm down the road, and uh, mom called me on her phone saying like that he was there threatening to burn the house down with her in it. So I told the boss like I got to go. My mom's. My brother's threatening my mother. I don't know what he's doing, but I gotta go talk to him, right? And I showed up, and he's just sitting there. It's like it's almost like his eyes were black. You could look in his eyes, and it was like nothing. Nothing was there. It was like you were looking at something just like evil or something. Wow. Like you could just tell by the way his eyes were glazed over. Like he was looking through me, like flicking a lighter. And I'm going, "What are you? What are you doing, man?" And he's like. What the frick are you doing here, man? Hmm? Like, it's like, Mom called me. You're freaking her out. You just threatened to burn the house down with her in it. Like, you know. And, uh, and I said, well, like, man, you can't, like, you can't do that. Like, I'm going to have to, like, if you try to do that, I'm going to have to stop you. He says, what, are you a big, tough man? I said, no, you're a big, tough man. I'm going to do whatever I got to do, right? Like, yeah. and I stood there, and I think I just... I think it scared him because I wasn't, I didn't show that I was afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a little scared. He's He's got like, you know, a, a foot and a half on me. Like, yeah. he had at least a hundred and something pounds or at least a hundred pounds on me because I was probably like a hundred and twenty-five or thirty pounds at the time. I think I'm only like a hundred and thirty or thirty-five right now. Yeah. And he was like two hundred and thirty pounds, you know, like, wow. uh, but... It's my brother, and I wasn't going to hit him unless he hit me, and I just stood there. I didn't move. I didn't budge. I just stood between him and the doorway so he couldn't go in the house. Wow. And how did that end? What happened? He stopped about a foot from my face. His fist was up, ready to hit me, and he just... His, a foot from my face, he just... It's almost as if his eyes had life come back into them, and he started to just basically crumble. Like, he backed away and started crying. Wow. And he was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm like... You all right now? You know, you know that I that we love you. Like you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm. I'm he's just like, 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, he was just like, and then he just started freaking out in a different way. Like he wasn't yeah. freaking out angry anymore. He was like freaking out and hysterical and crying. And wow. And he said something about uh, he couldn't go into the shed to get his stuff and leave. I told him that the cops was already called. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, if you want to get out of here, you get out of here, right? And wow. He thought the shed door was rigged with a shotgun. Wow. And that okay. if he pulled it open, it would shoot him. And I said, no, it's not. I, I, I mow the lawn here. I take care of it. There's and, and then he thought there was landmines in the lawn. I said, there's no landmines in the lawn. I mow it. I don't got time to be putting landmines down in there and taking them out. Wow. Right? And I said, look, I'll get the door for you. You just stand back. I'll get the door. I'll show you. It's safe. There's nothing going to happen. I'm opening the door. And he just <gasps> thought. So, so it's like you start to wonder, is he pretending? Or is he really thinking this? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, it was kind of hard to tell at at first. Yeah, I could see why. Because he didn't. It was almost as if, like, yeah, he kind of crumbled when he realized what he was doing. But then he became immobilist. Like he couldn't move once he realized that the cops were on the way. He didn't want to touch any doors or, or do anything. Like, mm. like he started acting really crazy. Like when he realized they were on the way. So that's why sometimes I wonder if he really is as crazy as he. Yeah, like, yes, obviously, the, in my opinion, any person, no one's below mental health. You could all, we could all become mentally ill. Yeah. If we don't keep ourselves in check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I wonder if that was, like, just a show because he knew they were on the way or mm. if he really was. Deep down, I'm like, okay, he's obviously not right in the head in some way, but just how much. Did he play us all for a fool by getting away with this like that on mm. NCR? At the time this all happened in January, he was living in your like in your grandparents' like shed or, or garage or something. Uh, they had a uh, a cabin, like a little cottage, on their property, mm-hmm. and they let him stay there. In like, what this arrangement of him living there? Where did that come from? Did he just need a place, and your grandparents stepped up, or? Well, my granddad, several months back in the spring or maybe the summer, he had. Uh, his kidneys had started to go into failure. He had a really bad heart, and it was only running at about 13% at oh, one okay. point. And then his kidneys started to go, and they said that he wouldn't last the week. Wow. So everybody was visiting him in the hospital. And he, we thought he was going into kidney failure, and he was going to die. And, and um, Granddad said that he'd seen everybody except for Cody, and that he wanted to see him because he felt that the last time they had spoke, they had an argument or whatever and he wanted to make amends with him before he had passed so I told him that I knew where he lived and if he wanted me to I would go get him so I did I kind of feel bad I kind of wish that I had said no (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know hindsight's better than foresight but I went and I got Cody and I told him that granddad was sick and that I was here if he could get ready and I'll take him to go see him and bring him back home I did that, and, and Granddad had said to him, he was sorry, you know, they made amends, and they talked, and they were good with each other, and and he said, nah, he said, if I, he said, if I could help you again, I would. He said, but it doesn't look like I'm going to get the chance to do that. And he says, but I promise if I make it through this, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And then he made it through it, and some odd months down the road, around Christmas, mm-hmm. Cody needed help, he needed a place to live, he didn't have anywhere to go. So Granddad told him he could come there as long as he would help him out with some things and he would pay a little power or do some work to either pay for the powers. Mm-hmm. You know, they needed someone to help them. So Cody started to help them and he was supposed to pay and I guess he didn't pay them. And Granddad cut the power off. And then I guess he come up to the hose all angry. I was supposed to come down that day. I mean, I ended up coming down that day anyways, but it was not for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. So it was January 7th. So if he moved in just after Christmas, so he was only there weeks then. So it was... Yeah, it was like Christmas Eve, I think I saw. It, there was still stuff of his on the back of Annie and Granddad's truck that they were okay. unloading. Jan- whatever happened in the house on January 7th, how did you find out that there was a problem? You said you, you were supposed to go down there, but ended up going... I had knew that he was there already, and I had knew that, like, you know, Nanny was worried about it, and Mom was worried about it, and that he was being, you know, 
he scared them. Yeah. Right. Uh, I knew all that, and I just, you know, I figured, oh, well, they'll call me, they'll let me know, and I'll have time to get there early, you know. Um, I think it was around 5 o'clock. I was sitting down to take my first bite of my dinner, and I didn't even put the fork in my mouth yet, and the phone rang. And it was my sister calling from Mum and her house. Um, I answered, and she says, hey, do you know where Mom is? And she sounded, like, like really upset. And I was like, no, I was going to call you guys soon after dinner here, and uh, I thought it was actually her calling. And she said, well, I was like, just she's probably just uh, stopped in at Petrocan or Sobeys to pick up some things on the way home, or she probably stopped in at Nanny and Granddad's. Mm. Call over there, or call her cell phone. Don't worry, I'm sure she'll be home. Like, I'll be there after I eat dinner. And she's like, well, that's why I'm calling, because... And then you could really tell, like, her voice started... Well, that's why I'm calling, because... Um, Mom's car's over at Nanny's, and Nanny's house is on fire. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You, I just said, Nikki, as soon as, as soon as she said that, I knew. I knew right then and there. I knew. That, that was... something happened, and, and Cody did it. Cody hurt them, and the house is on fire because of him. Wow. Because my grandparents were, Nanny was afraid of fires. They, she would, him and her and Granddad were always on top of cleaning the chimney. So I just, in my mind, I just, I just knew. I didn't know details, and I didn't need to know the details of how what got from me to be. All I knew is that if there was anybody in that house, they were dead. They were hurt, something. Mm. But when I pulled up and I seen it, I knew for sure. If there anybody was in there, they, they're gone. So you went right there. Soon as soon as I got the call, I didn't even finish my dinner. We just shoved the plates in the fridge, didn't even wrap them up, nothing, and left and mm. went because I had to get to my sister. I told her as soon as she said that, and I knew. I just said, "You go, you stay in the house. You lock all the doors, turn off all the lights." I said, "He shows up, you call nine one one right away. Mm -hmm. You try to hide. Have your keys and your cell phone ready. If he comes in one door, you go at the other." Yeah. So you get over there. The house is on fire. It's completely engulfed in flames, coming out every window. And best way to describe it, I'd say, is a cold day in hell. Mm -hmm. Standing there looking at that house, I had no no words came to mind, nothing. I just started crying and fell to my knees, my hands in the dirt and the snow. I was thinking, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you got a fire suit on or not. There ain't nobody going in there to save them. Yeah, it was like. And blaze. by the time I had gotten there, there wasn't anybody else going back in the house. They had went in and they found. I had already knew before I got to the house that that two of them were found and pulled out of there before it got too bad. And uh, the other one was in there the whole time. They couldn't go back in. They, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just. And I asked, I asked a police officer, and you know, they're still doing their investigation and whatever. And it's like, what happened here? Did someone, did my brother do this? Was it a chimney fire? Was it how were they killed? Like, mm -hmm. he's like, oh, it looks to me like smoke inhalation. Okay. And I just went, mm hmm, okay. <laughs> I shook my head because I, I already knew. You didn't know, at this point, you didn't know who was in there. Like, you, you assumed it was your grandparents and your mom in there. Uh, I knew that they car. pulled out because I got the call um, by the time I got to the first roadblock but I had to drive around it the first roadblock was down by like Antrim Road and I had to drive up through Antrim Road and go out I got to the next roadblock which was right before my mom's house and I said <laughs> uh, luckily I knew the person and so they knew I was serious when I said this and I pulled up and I, I, they had a, it was like one of my friends that worked for the construction company that they had blocking the roads off and I said you know me you know that's my mom's house. That's my nanny's house. And I said, whether you move that gate or not, I'm going through it. They were like, it's okay. They were crying too. So was I. And they're yeah. like, I'm going to move it. And they moved it. And I said, thank you. Wow. And uh, and went. And my aunt had just showed up just before me to get my sister. Mm -hmm. And then we all went to go meet at the church. But I, want, I had to go see myself and speak to an officer. So I went down. I must have drove past like dozen different police vehicles and like other service vehicles like ambulances like a mix of them like a dozen of them no not up one person in any of them hmm. until i got closer to the house like the second driveway 
two firemen were running up and they're like <gasps> they're taking off their clothes get, they had to get like yeah. 40 50 feet away from the house just to get out of the heat wow that's how bad it was like i could feel the heat from there mm -hmm. And they're like, you can't be here. What are you doing? Like, you got to stop right here. I was like, oh, I want to see. Like, that's my grandparents' house. My mother is in there. I didn't want to speak to an officer. Like, what's going on? What do they know so far? Kind of thing. He said, you just, you have to stay right here. I'll go get someone for you. So he went up to go get someone. And then he come up and he told me, the, oh, what is caused by yet? But it seems a little suspicious. I don't know. We're looking into it. Well, how'd they die? Oh, it looks like smoke inhalation to me. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you had no idea where your brother was? No, uh, I just assumed he was somewhere with my nanny's car and that I was hoping, uh, I was hoping that my nanny and the dog were with him, that he just, like, took them with them. Or maybe that nanny was already out. Mm. But there was always that heavy weighing thing in the back of my mind that was telling me she's in there and if she is, she's gone. They were looking for him. They were looking for my nanny's car. It was safe to say he had it if he wasn't in the yes. house. Yeah. Yeah, he had it. He had taken it and was driving around. And uh, I guess they, they found, he didn't even find him that far. He probably could have made it like to a different province, but uh, you know, found him just, I think they found him in Milford somewhere and he ended up smashing into the police cruisers where they had a roadblock. Like, wow. Like, several times. He like rammed them, backed up, rammed them, like, you know. And then when they took him in, and they took him in a little rough, his uncle, to my uncle, was a, was a cop. He says, you think we could get them in trouble for that, being a little rough with me? <laughs> no. What did you expect? Yeah. You expect police officers not to roughly detain you after you just brutally kill people that you love and then roughly smash your car into all their police cruisers? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think was going to happen? Like... You thought this was a friendly game of bumper cars? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know. Like, I deal yeah. with things in Huber, don't mind me. I'm the same way, so we're on the same page. Now, so after he, after they get him and, and he's arrested, I'm sure police were in, interviewing him and trying to figure out what happened. Were you in, in, uh, in the know about this as it was going down? Yes, I was actually one of the people that they took a statement from on, like, things that I knew, like, about my brother. Like, they were trying to piece together things and past things that were said or threatened mm. and I mean they still called it uh, even if he what he was going to get charged with would have been second or third degree which was it's not planned mm -hmm. it wasn't pre-agitated and I find that really offensive actually considering he threatened to burn down my mom's house with my mother and my sister in it now, I mean, just because it's a different house, one of the people was still involved, and it's the same type of thing. To me, that's like saying that it was not preemptive or that it wasn't pre-planned is, is like a kick in the face. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, thank you. How much, how much <laughs> earlier was that, that he threatened your mom? Uh, a year, maybe a little less. Okay. In... After his like his arrest there, did you think about like mental health, or, or were you thinking more like he just got really mad and did something? Well, some of us clearly had thought that he was really sick and just needed help, mm -hmm. and uh, and then some of us thought, okay, yes, obviously he does have issues, but he's not. I don't think that he's that sick. Like I think that he was just. He knew what he was doing more than he said he didn't. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and then there are some people that believe, no, that he's not sick, that he just planned all this. Wow. So, uh, me personally, I think that he's not as sick as as every as he's letting everyone on to think that he is. At what point did you learn what actually happened? Was it not until this made it to court that you learned about, like, you talked about, you know, the power getting cut off and the argument and stuff. How, like, when did you learn that this was what maybe set it off? 
Uh, I mean, I kind of learned some of those type details just by talking with family about what was going on before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't learn the actual details of how he did it until in the court. Wow, okay. Um, or should I say just before the day that we had the court because the people with victim services sent us, they're like, okay, well, this is the stuff that's going to be talked about and said in this court. We don't want you to be caught off guard. It's going to be gruesome. So if you don't want to hear those types of things, mm-hmm. don't, you know, they gave us a heads up to make sure we knew what we were walking into type thing. And, uh, I mean, to me, I had already guessed as such I. I figured what he would normally do is either grab a hold of somebody's throat or hit him with something. And sure enough, he hit him with something. Like, I didn't really need a cop to tell me what my brother would do. Mm -hmm. You know, I know him. And that's why I thought it was doctors sitting there in the court talking about how, oh, if a person's personality isn't this way before they become within the age to be mentally ill. I was like, how do you know what my brother's personality was mm. before he was of the age of mentally ill? You didn't even know him when he was of the age of mentally ill. Mm. I did. Mm. My brother was a bit of an asshole before he, yeah. he became the age to become mentally ill. <laughs> well, it just sounds an awful lot like uh, the story you told me about him threatening your mom. It just seems like it's kind of a mirror, or it could be seen as kind of a mirror of that playing out, perhaps. But... Leading up to, like, it going into a courtroom, he was charged with three counts of murder he was he was facing at that point. Did your family, like, he, because your brother's a part of your family still. Like, did, was there communication with him leading up to this? Um, or were you kind of two separate camps? At first, we were kind of two separate camps. Dad had to go in and sign to get on force medicated. And, uh, and you know, Dad and our other nanny and our aunt go and visit him here and there. I've only gone to see him a couple times, and it was mostly just to clear the air or ask questions that other family members wanted to know or mm-hmm. to tell him, like, you know, something. Like, I don't care who thinks differently be uh, about me because of this, but I went in there to, to ask for my sister why she had to grow up without a mother. Mm-hmm. And I went in there to tell him that I took his Christmas gifts back that me and mother bought him. We spent $100 on him combined. I picked them up for Mother, and we both wrapped them. Hmm. And when I told him I took his Christmas gifts back, I said, you can be mad at me all you want, just like other people can. <laughs> I didn't think he deserved them. Yeah. I didn't think those nice gifts that we bought him that we spent all that time picking out and making sure he had nice warm socks and long johns to live back in the cabin. Mm. Yeah. Now, what about, <laughs> now, what about uh, going into the trial? Like, Were you hoping... Like, were you hoping to see this um, end with, like, him being convicted of murder and going to jail? Like, what were what were you hoping would come out of this? I was hoping that, you know, he would uh, get the help that he needs, which, I mean, you know, they're saying that he did. But I wasn't... I wasn't thinking that he was going to be just out walking free on the streets before we're even done cleaning up the mess that he made. I mean, yeah, it's my brother. I love him. It's family, but it it still doesn't change the fact that no matter how much you love that person, you're never going to trust them again. They just did the most unthinkable, unforgivable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and no matter how much you love them or how much you want them to be re- rehabilitated, them being out free on the streets just like that, not with not even any remorse or anything... Regardless of whether they have remorse or not, it still don't make people feel safe. When all this happened, you would have, you had kind of your intuition and some stuff that the family said you had a pretty good idea of what happened. How was like the story actually delivered in the courtroom? Like that. Did, did he confess and give the no, information? No, he gave a confession to the police, but it was never released out what he had confessed. It was stricken from it because he was trying to get uh, on being mentally um, unable to withstand. He was trying to get the NCI. Yeah. So then that was stricken from there. And he actually did give a, a statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never read out into the, in, the thing, but it was actually said that it was he gave it. Okay. How did 
it come out what had happened like actually what went on in the house before the fire like because it's like i've read articles which kind of summarize it how did that story come out um well i mean different uh, different statements from different witnesses were taken and there was like my uncle was driving by earlier in the day and like bits and pieces were pieced together from different people's accounts of what was going right. on so it didn't my uncle come... drove by going home from work and he said he saw him standing at the end of the driveway staring up at the house hmm. just randomly weirdly just standing there like a statue and you just thought hmm, that was weird right mm-hmm. you know um but it never came out of Co- like from cody what happened in the house or no no. It never came out fully in court, uh, not from him. He said it to the police, but the police, because of yeah. the lawyer, they weren't allowed to say it in the court. It was stricken from the co- the uh, courtroom because he was now going for NCR. Mm-hmm. So we've never had the full answer. All Cody has ever said to us, what is that? Oh, I, uh, I thought I was saving the world. I thought I was, no, I thought I was changing the world. I thought I had to do that. Like, it was just bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, and he knew. He was like saying, "Oh, they're they're listening in." Oh, on the on the phone. Like, he was like all worried about. And I'm like, I don't care whether they if there's bugs in the phone or not. Like, yeah. so, I don't know. To me, I just think it was. A well-played act. Yeah. So now, what what do you know about what actually went on in the house? So we know there was the situation with the power being cut, leading to an argument. Does that, do, do you know what went on in the house, aside from there was a fire? Um, they know that um, he came he would have come in uh, my but my mother and my grandfather were found by the wa- rocking chair and wood stove they were hit in the head with a uh, blunt object um, several times um, and that they could tell that there was gas poured on part of their body and set on fire um, the way that the clothes were burnt and melt and they knew that it was gas that he had used um it started in the basement, but, I mean, he had poured, like I said, he poured fuel on them. Uh, they found, later on, they had found my nanny and the dog together in the living room area, so I assumed um, they had said someone was trying to call 911. Uh, there was a 911 call made from the house, um, and they think that it was my nanny in the living room trying to do it, and that maybe granddad and my mom was probably trying to stop him from hurting granddad and got hurt herself nanny was probably on the phone trying to call 911 and they lost the call or you know he probably hung up and then set the house on fire he said in the courtroom he had said oh he had his backpack and that he remember he put, had some water in there and his hammer for work, going to work at the mill, but yet he didn't work at the mill. He had marks at the mill for a while. Mm. And you don't need a hammer when you go to work at a mill. You don't really need anything. Any proper mill that you're going to work for, if they don't have the proper tools they need to do all the mill and the safety gear for you, don't work for that mill. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, you don't need to be taking stuff like that to mm. work. All your tools and your safety gear should be there. Like, <laughs> so, they should supply it. <laughs> so it... The the trial happens. Ultimately, he's found to be not criminally responsible. Yeah. What was, like, the reaction amongst your family when this happened? Like, was there any relief that he would maybe now, you know, get help and get to come out? Or what were you thinking? There, there was some some of the family, but sadly not as much as you would think. That were happy that he was getting help. I mean, because some of us knew that yeah, he. we know the way our system works. Some of them are like, oh, yeah, he's getting help. He's not going to jail and this and that. And they think that that's exactly the way that it should be. They don't realize that there's a problem with that. How can you say that someone who just was so mentally unstable that they killed three people that they love is now rehabilitated enough to be out on the streets five years later? Mm-hmm. They, 
to me it's just like this is creating a very problematic scenario for us mm -hmm. and especially since this is the only province that allows people who have the NCR ruling to still profit off of a person's death in, in which way like through um, let's say in this example he killed his mother and his grandparents now if there is any inheritance to be said to be had for him from those mm -hmm. because he got NCR he can now still get them wow that but every other that. province, you're not. A, if, let's say if you get NCR, but you killed someone and you ha are t entitled to inheritance from them, you killed them. You don't get it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. You're not allowed to profit from a death, NCR or not. Mm -hmm. I find that that's ridiculous. That Nova Scotia is like the only province that has that still standing. Mm -hmm. After his NCR ruling, he was in a hospital for a period of time or some kind of... Yeah, he was in Dartmouth, uh, East Coast Forensics Hospital mm -hmm. there, down by uh, Burnside. Yeah, and, and over the years, it seems like he's slowly been getting increasing freedom. Yeah. And it's often been you representing your family, speaking out, you know, uh, basically opposing these freedoms. Like, What is it that's motivated you and your family to speak out ab about him getting freedom? Like, what is it you're trying to prevent... Or, or what is your fear? We don't want any other family to have to go through this ever again. Mm -hmm. It is the most terriblest thing that I've ever had to go through in my entire life. It, it's, it's affected and changed our whole lives, our, our family. Like it's like a hand came down and just grabbed half your life away. Like mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like if not more, your whole world. Mm -hmm. You know, so in a sense, yeah, he changed the world, all right. He changed our world. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people like to think that him having to live with the guilt that he killed the people that he loved is enough punishment for him. Well, I'm sorry because everybody else that loved them too now has to deal with the fact that their loved one killed their loved one. And we didn't do a damn thing. So you know what? We're, we're still getting the same dish of punishment that you're getting, but we didn't do this. So in my opinion, no, I don't think he should have had day passes. I don't think he should have been going to the movies with his group. It's like, I'm sitting at home trying to take care of my own place and my mother's house and all the mess that he created. And I can't afford to go out to a movie, but this guy's going out and getting a movie paid for for him. Mm -hmm. So to me, him just sitting there saying nothing, having no remorse, letting people speak for him. And he, he wants more freedom. When they say that he should ask for it, he asks for it. Or he'll request them to ask for it. So it's just like... And he, he wants all his old stuff back. He wants to go to do all the things that he used to do. And it's like, you can't just go back into a community where you murdered people and expect it to be all hunky-dory. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to be able to go out there and work. And it's like, no, you're worried about people accosting you or being rude to you because of that. But you want to go back to the area where it happened? Mm-hmm. Like, no, so he had to stay in town here. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a bunch of craziness. Like, the whole way that the system works, it doesn't, there is no justice in the system. Mm -hmm. It's it's a joke. It's like a slap on the wrist. There you go, buddy. What kind of conditions does he have now? Is he free as you or yes. I? No. Well, he's he's as free as you and I. He just has conditions. He's not allowed to go out around that certain area. He can't go to certain people's addresses that don't want him there. He uh, not allowed to use substances or drink or anything. Not allowed to have weapons or anything on him. You know, there's all sorts of things that he's not allowed to do like that. He has to make sure he checks in with his doctor and takes his medication. People will be checking to make sure he's taking it. Yeah. Uh, as soon as he messes up on one of the conditions, he has to go back to the hospital and start all over again. Mm -hmm. Now, like when you hear of a murder, people will think like, hopefully someday Chandler gets in and the rest of his family members get closure. It almost seems like the idea of NCR, it almost made it like not a crime. Yeah. So like how... That's it, it feels like, it, it kind of does feel like that. It feels like, oh, okay... You're not criminally responsible because you're mentally ill. So it does kind of make you feel like, oh, you're just pretending as if that never happened and that we just have a sick person here that we need to help. And that's it. And it doesn't matter that any of these people are dead. You know, 
doesn't matter if more people could be dead. And we've been mostly speaking out a lot about it, not mm -hmm. just because we don't want this types of thing to happen to people. We would like a lot of things to be changed. Like the fact that why? Why do you have to wait to force medicate someone until someone kills someone? I get it. Oh, if you're an adult, you have to sign consent for yourself. But there should be some sort of gray area that states if someone is threatening to kill themselves or others, that's it. That's where we got to draw the line. There has to be some sort of gray area. It can't just be like that anymore. And 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 to have to have someone get NCR and then you possibly got to give them inheritance money from the person that they wouldn't even be getting inheritance money if they didn't kill the person. Like mm -hmm. because if they didn't kill the person, the next week after that, a a, a will would have been done up. Yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Uh, or or. You know, if they didn't kill these guys, even when their grandmother died, they wouldn't have got nothing because it would have went to their mother. It's just stupidness. I guess the the, the idea of closure, it's almost in like the wound must still be wide open because it's it's almost like you didn't get. It's pretty much he doesn't have to answer for it. He doesn't have to speak on it. He doesn't have to say he's sorry. He doesn't have to show remorse or nothing for it. He just stands there blankly and he just gets to walk away freely that's it and we're all still standing there like we got this weight on our shoulders and he's and someone's just taking it off of his mm -hmm. and throwing it at us and what about when you look back at the things leading up to this that that failed or maybe could have prevented it it seems like you think the big thing is you know, people knew, the police knew he wasn't well and nothing was done. Lots of people did. Even even our old boss at the farm, he went to the church. He, started to, he was like, is there something we can do for him? No, we can't force him to get help unless he wants the help. I can try to get him help, but it's like he's sick. He needs help. Like, he's something's not right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not just, you know, when it's not just your family, when it's not just cops that you're calling to bring there, it's everybody can see it. Mm -hmm. Everybody can see it, and there's not a damn thing that anybody can do. Until they really hurt someone really bad or they kill someone. The sad truth is is that eight times out of ten, unless someone's getting killed, nobody gets help. Nobody yeah. gets made to get help. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Now, now, now we'll force them to get the help. Now it's okay. It's like, how do we know that they just didn't continue to not get help because there was nothing wrong with them mm. and they knew that that was the only way they could get away with murder? Yeah, and it but, seems like... The, the situation he's in now where he's like closely monitored, has these conditions required to take medicine. It's like that's exactly what needed to happen before. Yeah. But you you could never get that kind of help for someone until they kill someone. Yeah. And the doctors were even saying, oh, well, he, he understands the rules and he's following everything that he, he's doing, everything that he has to. I was like, yes, that's because he's been forced medicated shoved into this place where he's under security, not allowed to leave. And he knows that just as long as he follows all the rules and does everything that you tell him to, he'll get out. And eventually he could just go do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. There isn't anybody else that he could kill and profit from. Mm -hmm. I find it hilarious that the only person that he could kill and profit from is the one that he did and got away with it. You know, we've been trying to write letters to Justin Trudeau and uh, we're going to write more. We'll write as many as it takes to try to change these rules. Like, force medicate someone before they kill someone. Mm. Then we're not in this mess. Yeah. You know, and, or when they get NTR, you shouldn't just let them walk out free after two to five years. There's so many different things that could be changed so people don't have to die in vain mm. or die at all. <laughs> you know? They were good people and they did nothing but help people and, and that's what they got for it. They were trying to help him and he killed them. There's some people there'll never be enough. Like the day he tried to burn down Mum's house was because they wouldn't let him use the laptop. Now through our, our talk, you talk about you know he's my brother. I love him. I, I can get that, and like that could never change. I'm sure that'll never change family's family. But what kind of relationship do you have with him now? Are, are you in touch with Cody? No, not really. We used to be a lot closer, but since he started threatening people, we've kind of just slowly. Drifted and all, and since this, I don't really want. I don't really want to be in his life. I don't really want him in mine. Like I told him already, if I ever have a wife or kids, you're not, you're not going to be in their life. You're not going to know their names or where I live mm -hmm. ever. I said, if I'm going to be, if there's any part of my life that you're going to be in, like I might visit you here and there, like on your birthday or Christmas, once in a while. But it'll be me coming to visit mm -hmm. you where you live. 
And is that because of... Um, I don't trust him. That's it? I'm like, not leaving anything open for him to come and bother me and be pissed off at me and hurting me and my family. I don't trust him. I love him, but I do not trust him. I think um, <laughs> but, yeah. I may end it on that, but is there anything else we didn't get into that you want to? Uh, I think we covered a lot of the bases. I think, I think we did cover a lot of the bases. I'm hoping that maybe some sort of official within the mental health board or the justice system will hear this because not only, you know, there's similar things happening everywhere. It's like, look what happened with that guy. That, and I mean, he seemed to be a nice guy who actually helped people. He was a denturist. He was, he, he was going around dressed up like a cop. And he ended up killing one of my neighbors. Like, no one's above it or below it. Anybody could be influenced or pushed or they could snap. Mm -hmm. So, I guess everybody keep yourself in check and, you know, try to fight for what you believe in. And if there's something that you think needs to be changed, which me and my family believe there needs to be a change made in this system. And I'm hoping that that's what this does. How can people listen, like people listening who want to see that change, at least the change that you can't profit after this type of event... What could, what can we do? Uh, I don't know. Spread the word. Maybe share this link as much. Maybe somebody from Justin Trudeau's office will hear it and think maybe we should listen to what this family might have to say because not only does it tie into all these different types of killings or things of, of mental health that have been going on, they're going on all around us. They have been. And I think it's time that we make a change for it so it's not so easy for people to want to just just snap because th these people think that they can get away with it. And they can because the way you have it set up, it's all too easy. I feel like there's probably half the cases of NCR out there that those people aren't as crazy as you think they are. They're just smarter than you. Look at that stupid that stupid thing. There was something on uh, was a TV show that came out about this person who was going around killing cats and then started killing people. Luca Magnata. Luca Magnata. Yeah. I was watching that the other day, and I'm like, this sounds all too familiar. Look at this person. Like, he's, this person's smart. Mm -hmm. They're messed up, but they're smart. Mm -hmm. Now, my brother is messed up, but he's smart. Mm -hmm. His favorite movie was Primal Fear, and he just did. It, 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 he made his life the movie. Mm. Wow. You know? And, and same with Luca Magnata. He made Basic Instinct their life. I want to thank you for joining Chandler Henniger and I in this discussion. I've covered several stories in the past in which the NCR defense was used. Some examples would be Rohini Bissasar, who successfully used it, and Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, who unsuccessfully tried. But what was never discussed was the complicated situation the victims' families are left in. In the case of Chandler Henniger's family, it is all the more complicated as not only was the man responsible for the death of his mom and his grandparents not criminally responsible, it was a member of his family. It was his brother, Cody. And then, to think that Nova Scotia is an outlier on rules surrounding someone who has found NCR being able to profit from the deaths, it's simply an unimaginable situation. As Chandler mentioned in the episode, he is speaking out because his family wants to see this changed. If you want to add your voice to their cause, I've added the address for the Canadian Prime Minister's office in the episode notes. Chandler and other members of his family have sent plenty of letters. But maybe it's yours that will help get the message across. And with that, we'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I want to end with some thanks. First, a huge thank you to Chandler Henniger for taking the time to share his family's heartbreaking story with us. And next, I want to give a massive thank you to the great band who contributed the musical theme for this episode. It's an instrumental version of a song by Disappear Forever, a band from Fargo, North Dakota. If you want to hear more of them, check out their album Treasure. It's produced by Trevor Breeson and available on Spotify and most major streaming platforms. I've added links to Disappear Forever in the episode notes. And lastly, but most importantly, a huge thank you to all the listeners of Nighttime. Without you, this show would have seen the light of day many moons ago. If you want to help keep the lights out here at Nighttime, let me suggest the premium feed. 
For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can support the show and access a separate feed in which the episodes are posted earlier than in the free feed and are done without paid advertising. But beyond the regular episodes, the premium feed also includes additional content that will take you even further down the rabbit holes. In the case of this episode, the additional content will be my full, unedited conversation with Chandler. For reasons of length, significant portions of our talk had to be cut out. And I'm sure many of you listening will be interested in what else he had to say. You can support the show and access the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest members of the supporter group. Veronica, Janet, Andrew, and Susan Kiwi Kiwi Kiwi, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you're using. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities on or off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can find my contact information on nighttimepodcast.com. As well, if you want to share your thoughts on this story or the NCR defense, you can send me a voice memo for inclusion in some of the bonus content. There's a link on nighttimepodcast.com in the contact section that'll allow you to do that. I hope to hear from you. Now, until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and stay safe out there. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. While you wait for the next episode of Nighttime, let me recommend some music to check out and a very special band to support. My city, Halifax, is proud to be home to Dog Day, a garage rock band that, in my opinion, is one of Canada's best. Dog Day haven't released new material since 2013, as the band's lead creative duo, Seth Smith and Nancy Urich, have focused on filmmaking, like their critically acclaimed 2017 film, The Crescent. But Dog Day are back. They're now accepting pre-orders for their seventh studio album. It's called Present. If you're into gothic synth rock with a bit of hook-oriented indie punk thrown in, you're going to love Dog Day. I've added a link to them in the show notes.